Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. It is not for the faint of heart. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Welcome back. <laughs> my name is Kayla. And my name is Kristen. And this is Black True Crime. Period. If this is your first time here at the show, welcome and hello. Hi. I'm really excited for today's episode because it doesn't really have a lot of information. And because it didn't have a lot of pictures and stuff like that associated with it, it was harder for me to find the information. But, you know, your girl likes a challenge. So I had fun. I I had fun. So thank you to our requested person that I will be mentioning in a little bit. Kristen, are you ready? Yes. Can we talk about this bob, though? Like, (laughs) do we like Kayla with the bob? Is it giving? It's a you little don't stiff, come bob, but I like the bob. I like it's seeing your neck. Something. It's a little something. I do like seeing, you know, mm-hmm. very elegant. Yeah, my <laughs> gawker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get started. For those of us who have siblings, we may fuss and fight, but we'd still do anything to protect each other when it comes down to it. Well, what happens when you have to choose between their freedom and yours? Would you still risk it all to protect the one you love? Join us as we discuss the guilt or the innocence of Kevin Duger. Uh-uh. This is juicy. Already, sister. Already. Kayla, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yes. I'm excited. Oh, and shout out to listener Cree Stacks on Instagram. That's C-R-E-E-S-T-A-C-K-Z. She requested this. So thank you, babe. Shout out, girl. Where you get this from? Where you get you this from? from? Kevin Duger was born in 1978 or 19... 19- 88 or sorry 1977 <laughs> or 1978 in chicago illinois okay. Kristen, what happened in black history in 1978 or 1977 whichever Okay, hey guys, so I'm here with the Black History segment, and this time I really wanted to go across the world. I did not want to do America anymore. Sometimes American history is just annoying, and there's so much of it. I'm like, no, let's go taste a little something else. So we are headed to Ethiopia and Somalia, and this happened in 1977, and basically it was a dispute over a certain region called the Ogaden. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but... They were basically Ethiopia and Somalia was beefing over this region because they both had a piece of it, but they both wanted all of it. And it literally was smack dab in the middle of both of their countries, states, one of the provinces. It was right in the middle. But the dispute did not start here. It started way back when after World War II, when the British, after, I guess, the war, they decided to give up that Ogaden region because it was initially their territory. They decided to give it up. 
And then a part of their other territory was Somalia. Somalia ended up turning into its own independent country. And they kind of took control over pieces of the Ogaden region, while Ethiopia was already taking control over pieces of the Ogaden region as well, because it was up for grabs. Mm -hmm. So I want to let you know about the internal struggles that each country was facing that led them to kind of Buttheads. So the Somalian government at the time was going through a regime change after there was a military coup to assassinate the president, the Somalian president at the time. Yeah, which means your own people will be plotting against you. And they weren't um, hiding about it. They were very vocal about they wanted the president gone and so forth. Therefore, they assassinated him. On the other side, Ethiopia was going through a regime change, too, because they decided to overthrow the emperor at the time. Was mm. It was another military coup. Their military council was called the Derg. So they were like, oh, we're not bumping with the emperor. Get him out of here. They didn't kill him. They overthrew him. But what happened in Ethiopia was when they overthrew the emperor, people were mad, honey, and they were not with it. So a whole bunch of separatist groups started popping up. One of them being a the WSLF. If you want to know what it is, look it up. I'm not trying to tell you. <laughs> or tune into our Black History segment, too, on TikTok. Oh, shit. So, yes. Yeah, so, separatist groups started popping up, and Somalia decided to go ahead and fund these separatist groups with weapons and supplies because they were being attacked by the Ethiopian military council. The Ethiopian military council was coming for them hard. So, Somalia is like, well, we're going to help them out because mm. clearly they're all, most of the people in that group were Somalian and mm. they were fighting for or supporting Somalia owning Ogaden. So, Somalia was like, mm. okay, we're going to help them out. But Ethiopia was backed by the Soviet Union at the time. No, the no. big, bad Soviet no. Union. No. And from there, a lot of stuff happened. And um, if you want to know the end of how this conflict turned out, please tune in to our Black History segment where I will be showing you or telling you exactly how the story went on TikTok. Kristen, I'll punch you straight in the face. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> that was... That was so fun. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to figure out or find out what happens. Follow us on TikTok at Black True Crime. Period. Period. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, sister, for that trip down history lane. Of course. Okay, so Kevin Dugar, born in Chicago, Illinois. And there wasn't much information about his childhood. So working with what I had, I was able to find out that Kevin grew up with his mother, father his twin brother and two sisters i don't know if the sisters were twins but i do know kevin himself had a twin brother mm -hmm. and this is a special shout out to my man because my man's a twin so <laughs> kevin's twin brother's name was carl and yes it was two k's just like me and Kristen. love that for us too cute According to their mother and people that knew them at the time, the two boys weren't just identical twins. They were the same person. And sometimes their own parents couldn't even tell them apart. I'm looking at their pictures now, Kayla. I thought you tried to trick me. Like, I thought you tried to trick me and say Kevin was Carl because... And weird. And why is Carl's last name different from Kevin's? Great question. So their mother's maiden name was Smith. Carl's last name is Smith. Kevin's last name is Dugar. He took his dad's. Kevin took his, or Carl took his mom's. Okay. They even dressed alike until eighth grade, which 
you know, may have been their mother's choice for the most part because we had something Mm, similar similar. to deal with in our lives. But around like middle school, we got to pick whatever we wanted to wear kind of. So maybe they were just still choosing to dress the same. They were sharing shoes and socks and even their sandwiches. So Mm. they just shared everything. The overall vibe I'm getting is that they were super close brothers. Yeah, they were best friends best friends the same person you know which makes the betrayal that happened next even harder to believe stop i can't i can't they literally look the same like how you gonna grow up and look the same is that y'all both bald both of y'all heads shake like a head cone like i like a a cone both of y'all have the same cut on your mustache like yeah You could have did something to differentiate. You really could have. And this is, I mean, first of all, I don't think being bald is a choice all the time. And in their situation, definitely doesn't look like it was a choice. But they're trying to differentiate in the sense that Carl has like a bearded mustache. And then Carl or Kevin's is closer i guess Mm, either way they do look a lot alike to me Mm. carl just looks a little more girthy a little bit more like he may work out yeah kevin kind of just gives me the like eh, you know kind of sloppier vibe no shade no i'm looking at kevin now he doesn't look sloppy no 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 a sloppier sloppier no kevin if anything looks like he's slimmer than carl carl looks like bodybuilder Kevin looks mm. like hmm, he's a little, a little leaner than Kristen. Carl. Kristen, you just corrected me and you're totally mm-hmm. right. Don't come for Kevin. Kevin's attractive. But you might have Dog to come for Kevin because I don't know if Kevin's a good guy or a bad guy. Doggone it, Kristen. Okay. Well, we'll see. And we'll see. Mm-hmm. So right now we are jumping right into what started it all. A murder in 2003. At this time, Kevin and Carl were around 25 or 26 years old, and they were selling drugs. They were known on the street as twin and would often imitate each other to confuse people. So Kevin would sometimes show up to, you know, deals that Carl was supposed to be at and vice versa. I would like you guys to take a look at what these motherfuckers look like. You can see it on Instagram. If you're on Patreon, you can see it in the video right now. And if you have neither, you can check it out on blacktruecrime.com slash blog or our Facebook group. It's just fucking everywhere. Okay? Check it you out. Have many and options. let us know what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you guys think. Okay. Dang, these brothers are attractive. Kristen, please. <laughs> what? I'm here for it. It's hard to be a bald man. And they are fine bald men. Okay. Well, let's continue. Mm -hmm. So the two brothers, the two fine bald brothers were dealers at the time. And they were a part of a local gang called the Conservative Vice Lords. This was... (laughs) I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain. It sounds it so sounds intense. Little, it sounds a little like, well, but yeah. Mafia. Explain. So this was a game primarily led by eight men, including a man named Frederick Douglas Gore, who went by Bobby. He and the seven other men were each in charge of like a, I want to say like a set 
like a branch, you know, but a set of what they ultimately called the Almighty Vice Lord Nation. And from its creation in 1957, the gang quickly became known in Chicago for their violence, engaging in activities like armed robberies, extortion, and assaults. But Bobby ended up having a change of heart. And in 1967, he decided to change the name of his set to the Conservative Vice Lords in an attempt to kind of like clean up the reputation of the set and shift their focus to community outreach and assistance. Okay, he was trying to do better for the community. Pretty dope, I'd say. Bobby and the group were even present at some Martin Luther King Jr. marches. Under Bobby's... Under Bobby's leadership, the conservative vice lords took a stance of nonviolence, equality, and community cooperation. So basically just 180 the whole thing. Yeah, and I'm sure their other sets are looking at them like, you chump, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? As good as all this sounded, it didn't last. Because in 1969, Bobby was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Bobby. What did you do? He killed. Yeah, he killed someone. And I don't know who he killed, but it was probably from his days, you know, gangbanging and doing all that shit. Mm -hmm. After he got locked up, the gang went back to their violent ways and started selling drugs on top of that. So, really got away from Bobby, unfortunately. But when Bobby got out, he stayed away from the gang and declined an offer to get back involved because he didn't like how they was moving and they wasn't trying to do better so he just went on doing his philanthropy on his own and he died at 76 years old in 2013 due to complications of a pulmonary disease and if you feel like i'm patting this case it's because i am (laughs) it's because i am period so rest in peace to bobby he tried so that's the gang that Kevin and Carl were associated with at the time in 2003. And this gang was also beefing with another gang called Black Peastones. And at one time they were like allies, but you know, shit changes. People piss each other off. It happens. So on March 22nd, 2003, 16-year-old Monique Boykins, 27-year-old Antoine Taylor, and another guy named Ronnie Bolden. I didn't find his age, which frustrated me they were all riding around in a truck together near 4945 north sheridan road and it wasn't too late in the evening either it was like eight o'clock and also i wanted to ask myself why was a 16 year old with a 27 year old man and another man i'm not sure but but we not gonna speculate (laughs) they could be family members i do not know They parked the truck near Sheridan and Argyle and then got out and started walking toward the building. According to Monica, who would later testify to this in court, as soon as she reached the curb of the street, someone started shooting at them. Uh Monica wasn't able to remember too many details after the shooting initially, but she thankfully survived it. However, the two men that she was with at the time weren't so lucky and both men were hit by the bullets. Ronnie Bolden would survive his injuries, but Antoine Carter unfortunately did not. So he passed away. Ronnie seemed to remember a lot more than Monica did when he finally told police who he saw that night. So let's get into it. First of all, I just want to say stop killing our black men. Black people, stop killing black people. Like, I'm so sick of us. 
can we please just do better? Can we just stop Thanks. killing and just like make money together and have fun? And you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> love. And if we beef in, let's beef with our hands like we used to do back in the day, and then like right. talk it out. Yeah. But also, is the sky raining purple skittles <laughs> and <You> care <laughs> bears? No. <laughs> Girl can dream. Mm-hmm. To start, I want you guys to know that Ronnie and Antoine were associated with the Black P-Stones, which is the gang we told you was beefing with the conservative vice lords at the time. Antoine had previously been a member of another vice lord branch, but left and joined the P-Stones. So you can kind of see how they were probably targeted in that ego-driven environment. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's like you basically switch sides. You a switch up. Yeah. We're coming You're for you. Almost worse than a snitch, you know? You literally, Kayla. You could be telling all our secrets to this other freaking gang. Are you right. joking? Let's take you out. So according to Ronnie, he was riding in his maroon suburban. That's the car that was the truck that I referred to before. And he was with Monica a little bit before 8 p.m. before they picked up Antoine from a restaurant called Munchies. If you're from Chicago, let us know about Munchies. Because it sounds cute. Also, let us know about another place that we could go to to eat. Just in case we ever visit Chicago. We love to eat. So they took Antoine to go to a corner store nearby. That's when Ronnie noticed who he identified as Kevin wearing a black jacket, hat, and pants. And he wasn't necessarily following Antoine at the time, but he did disappear out of sight once Antoine went into the store. So it's kind of looking like Antoine was the target at this time. Okay. After Antoine came back is when all three drove to 4945 North Sheridan. They all got out of the car, but Ronnie forgot something and decided to circle back to the car to get it. And when he came back around toward his friends, he saw Monica standing in the middle of the street. It was kind of just like, okay, what is she doing? And then he saw Kevin, who'd come out from behind a van. Kevin allegedly grabbed and bumped Antoine, which knocked him like onto the ground. And from about one or two feet away, Kevin shot Antoine in the chest. Wow. Yeah. Ronnie ran toward Antoine to help, and that's when Kevin raised his gun toward him. And about for, and, a, and from about 10 feet away, according to Ronnie, Kevin yelled, Blackstone killer, bitch, before he shot Ronnie twice in the chest. Wow. Yeah. So, like, aim, fire. I hope this takes you out. It doesn't seem like this was just a, oh, let's hurt someone and let's get away because... No, this seems like a targeted attack to take their lives. This was a message. Absolutely. Or revenge or something. Ronnie turned to run away when he got shot again in the back and in the hand. And then he was hit by a van. Dang, Ronnie. Where is the luck? Where is the favor? Ciao. All up and down his spine because he was... (laughs) Because he's still alive. He he's still alive, and after being hit by the van and shot, what, four times, he was unable to get up when Kevin started approaching him and went to shoot him again, but the gun jammed. Woo! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is riveting. So, someone was shining down on Ronnie that day. Mm-hmm. 
After the gun jammed, Kevin ran from the scene while talking on the phone. That's what Roddy said he remembers. And Kevin was headed toward Buttercup Park. Hmm. Heavy shit. Rest in peace, Antoine, by the way. Rest in peace, Antoine. Where the heck was Monica? Where is she? That girl took the fuck off and ran. I would have ran too. Because last time you spoke of her, oh oh boy, Ronnie saw her in the middle of the street just standing looking stuck. Right. So eventually she took off. I guess she was just standing there like she was, he saw her in the middle of the street, meaning like she was waiting for him to come back, Mm. you know? And then that's when he saw Mm. Kevin come around that van and uh, shoot at Antoine and himself. I see. So I think she was just sitting there waiting. And then once the shooting started, she ran. She ducked and dodged. Yes, as she should have. <laughs> mm-hmm. While Ronnie was in the hospital recovering, he was visited by police multiple times, but he refused to speak with them. His goal was to handle it, you know, like he knew he wanted to take it to the streets. Mm-hmm. Understandable, but not ideal. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he didn't necessarily tell them that it was Kevin or who he thought it was, but he did decide to give them a physical description of the shooter. And he told them that he knew the shooter went by the nickname twin and that he also was known to be called C, which is short for CVL, which is how like all conservative vice Lord members were identified. And I don't even know if that's completely entirely true. I feel like he told the police that that's how they're identified they're identified but he really was just trying to inadvertently tell them exactly who it was yeah like you basically (laughs) gave them all they needed to know if kevin has ever been in the system he's they're gonna know who he is i feel like he knew exactly what he was doing initially but he still may have thought that hey i can get to them first Mm mm-hmm Back at the crime scene, investigators have collected clothing and two Winchester 360 cartridge case cartridge cases, two 380 auto cartridges, and multiple bullets. They identified that although both types could have been shot by the same gun, it could have possibly been shot by two guns. Two people could have been involved. They didn't know at that time. Okay. So here's where it starts to get a little confusing and kind of crazy. So I'm just going to simplify it as much as I can. Kristen, hold my hand. (laughs) Even though authorities had an idea of where to start their investigation, they didn't really have any evidence to support the claims that Kevin was involved at all. They only had their surviving witnesses' statements. And because Ronnie was more focused on getting it back in blood neither he nor monica were cooperating with the police very much until about a month later when on april 28th 2003 police talked to monica to see if she remembered anything new about what happened on that day what she did she said she saw the shooter grab antoine with his left arm kind of like wrapping it around his shoulder Mm-hmm. from the back and his right arm was chest a right hand i'm sorry was chest level to antoine and then that's when she heard three shots and saw antoine fall to the ground which is even sadder that means that the killer was holding on to antoine as he was shooting him yeah that's like harsh my Super thing is sad. is like if i'm seeing the picture right i would never want to be behind somebody and shooting into them because bitch i might get shot that's what I'm thinking. So it's 
eyewitness testimony we all know isn't the most reliable Mm -hmm. so i think that's where this kind of comes in to play Mm -hmm. then she said she saw ronnie get shot started running and then he got shot again while the shooter was trying to get away so the shooter was running away from ronnie but was still shooting at him as he was Mm -hmm. running away she said she also saw a woman there she pulled over and that's the one that called 911 for help Monica Is that provided the one them. that hit Ronnie as well. <laughs> Kristen, great question. Possibly. Right, possibly. Possibly. I don't know what kind of car she was driving. If I knew, I could tell you because he was hit by a van. So I don't know. So Monica was then asked to identify a picture of Ronnie Bolden, which she did and signed for. And then she was shown a picture of Antoine and identified him as well. So with this whole process, you know, she gave her statement. She's signing her initials next to everything. And they fully explained to her, hey, you signing your initials mean that you sign off that this is true. And this is what you saw that day, March 22nd. Monica was also shown a police lineup. Yes, indeed. They brought her in for a lineup on April 28th. And she was faced with a row of men, one of them containing Kevin Dugard. He was number four, and she identified him as the one that she saw that day shooting at them. Or shooting at, I'm sorry, you know, her friends. Oh, snap. And through the glass, she said, I read that it was after she already identified him, but it could have been before, I don't know. She said that he mouths, quote, please, I didn't do it. Don't put me in jail. What the heck? Yeah, girl. And this was actually corroborated by multiple investigators that were actually present at the time. Wait, because (laughs) now I'm like, what does this all mean? Like, yeah, Kevin was like, it wasn't me. Yeah, because I'm like, if didn't they both get called twins? So why do they bring Kevin in versus Carl? Well, I was going to expose that a little bit later. But, and I think I still will. You don't play you fair. Wait. You don't play you nice wait. at all. <laughs> but isn't that just crazy? Like, isn't that crazy well, how he mouthed to the person on the other side? I didn't do this. I don't know if that's common, but it was mentioned in this case, and I've never really heard it mentioned before. So, well, I feel like Kevin knew, like, this was just going to pick me. And, like, so he was trying to, like, tell her, like, I'm not the one. I get why you're about to pick me, but it's not me. Fuck. Well, on that same day, the assistant state attorney submitted Monica's statement to a jury, but chose not to include how scared to death she was when she was being interviewed the whole time. You know, she said she feared the killer and his associates when they asked her, like, why was she so afraid? And it may make more sense after I explain this next part. So remember how authorities talked to Monica on April 28th and had her do the lineup and everything? Well, they spoke with Ronnie on April 23rd, who was suddenly having a change of heart and decided to tell the police everything that he knew. So let's Hmm. get into it. Uh Uh-huh. He told police that he knew who the killer was and told them by name that it was Kevin Dugar and not Carl Dugar. So that's what he said. He referred to Carl as Carl Dugar because he didn't know that Carl's last name was Smith. But 
you know, he knew the brothers. He just figured they had the same last name. He also told police that although the brothers went by the same nickname, Twin, he knew how to tell them apart because he'd known them for over 10 years and saw them every day. Mm -hmm. Apparently, they were living in the same apartment complex and were like cordial and passing. So it wasn't really any real beef, according to Ronnie. Mm -hmm. Ronnie also was given a photo lineup and he identified Kevin as being the one that shot him and Antoine. Mm-hmm. Kevin, it's not looking good, sir. It's not. <laughs> it's not looking good for you, guy. Ronnie said about snitching, quote, I couldn't hide from him no more. It was staring there in my face, end quote. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think he considered it snitching, but I do. You told them by name his government, <laughs> and they didn't know that, you know, unless right. they did, but it wasn't in any information I could find. And clearly it's snitchy if you had a change of heart and wasn't trying to snitch in the first place. And then right. now all of a sudden April 23rd comes and you telling the rainbow, tell every, the all the colors, mm-hmm. like you're snitching. Right. And this happened before they questioned Monica, like we said, and before she picked out Kevin out of this lineup. So at this point, police are ready to arrest 25-year-old Kevin Dugar. He was charged with first-degree murder of Antoine. And he was charged with attempted murder and aggravated battery with the firearm of Ronnie. Mm. During the trial, the prosecution had next to no physical evidence and knew that their case wasn't as strong as it could have been. That's probably why they offered Kevin a plea deal. Because mm-hmm. their case is, you know, weaker than my knees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not your knees. Not your knees. <laughs> Let's be honest. Being, so being that eyewitness testimony was really all they had, they tried to really present that as Bible. And the defense tried to discredit, you know, the witnesses as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So some of the witnesses were Monica, Ronnie, and that lady that pulled over that day, remember, to help them. Mm-hmm. And she ended up being a nurse, actually. Oh, wow. cool. Shout out to the nurses out there. Period. Thank you. You are essential. Absolutely. <laughs> After Ronnie testified, the defense asked him how he was able to tell the two brothers apart because... His own family members was get, were getting them mixed up. And Ronnie said that Kevin had always been a little more stout and stocky. Just like you said, Kristen. Period. Mm. On point. No, I lied. I said the opposite. I said Carl looked stockier than Kevin. Oh, that's what you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You were wrong. So, <laughs> but who? why are we talking about body shape? It, that shit changes and varies. Right. So. Who knows? But he basically knowing someone for 10 years and knowing both of them, he was like, I'm familiar with their bodies. <laughs> so no shade. Like he, he's just telling how it is. Like, oh, boy, stock you. Then oh what, boy. Else, what else you want me to say? Yeah. What else you want me to say? And he also said that at the time, Carl had his little beard in a braid that night. And I feel like you can tell that difference for sure, because. Whoever was the shooter wasn't wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. The nurse testified that she didn't see anything really of use, but she did see a man running that was wearing a black hoodie. So when it came time for Monica's testimony, her credibility was really in question. And obviously because she was a woman and well, she was like 17 at the, no, she was, I think 18 at the time because the trial was in 2005. So she's 18 at the time. They're trying to probably make her out to be a lying whore. 
Well, also because initially she didn't have much to say. And then months right. later, she was able to identify and say all of this tea that she forgot to spill when it first happened. Considering she was in shock, I understand. But still, I see why they were looking at her kind of shady, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're going to look at her a little bit more shady when we get more into this. Mm-mm. So the defense wanted to make it clear to the court that Monica was questioned for over 15 hours by investigators at one point and how that probably caused her to just start agreeing with whatever they were saying. Mm. And she's 16 at the time. So, you know, which is also confusing because where the were her parents, like where were her guardians to be there on her behalf? Mm -hmm. When she was asked if she saw the man that shot Antoine and Ronnie in the courtroom that day, she said she saw who they told her did it and that she didn't actually know. Mm. No. Monica You're girl. lying. Monica girl. So even during that lineup that happened in April, Monica had apparently recognized number four as a shooter and then she asked if that was the shooter. So she recognized him and then asked, is that the shooter? To which detectives replied by pointing at number four and identifying him as a man named Twin. So at this point, if this really happened, all this shit is tainted in the water and the dirt in the grave Mm -hmm. and should be put to bed. Yep. Inadmissible. Easily. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And for the icing on the cake, it came out in court that although Monica had not seen Ronnie since the shooting, which was two years prior, Ronnie had reached out to her the day before the trial started and threatened her to positively identify Kevin during the trial. Corny. What is the agenda against Kevin? I don't know. Maybe it's some street shit that's going on maybe someone else has something to do with it because they don't want to go down for it we don't know but let's continue in 2005 kevin dugar was found guilty of the charges against him and was sentenced to 54 years in prison and it's shitty for kevin because he could have signed a plea deal like i mentioned earlier and probably ended up only serving half that time Mm. but the case ain't over yet so kevin at this point is serving his prison sentence. It's 2005. Well, fast forward to 2008. Carl, his brother, is still out here living that same gangster life, you know, not trying to give it up, selling drugs, all that, until he went too far. In 2008, he received a 99-year sentence for his part in a home invasion and armed robbery that led to a six-year-old being shot in the head. Carl, are you freaking joking? Like, at this point, if I was Carl, I would have took the first. If I did that first shit with Ronnie and them, I would have took that one over this home (laughs) invasion. 99 years. You're not getting out. No, you're not getting out. So in January of 2008, Carl and his co-defendants forced their way into the apartment of Gabriel Curiel and his brother, Jonathan Colazzo. While Gabriel's three children were present, the thieves stole money and weed from a safe in the house and then beat Gabriel, stabbed him in the chest, and shot him in the shoulder. Dang. Yeah. So I guess they tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. David, which was the name of the six-year-old, was shot in the head and thankfully survived. The oh Lord is God. good. The Lord is good. At the 2011 trial, both Gabriel and David testified and pointed out Carl as the shooter. 
When David testified, he was nine years old at the time, he answered a few preliminary questions, but when asked about what happened that day, he said, quote, I need a hug and, quote, I want my mom. Okay, I'll cry. I'll cry I'll right now. I'll fucking throw all this shit off my desk. Like, the fact that he said, I need a hug, like, yeah. you're... I'll give you a hug. Like He was scared. And then the judge excused the jury from the courtroom, which led to the which led to the defense requesting a full mistrial because the nine year old reacted too strongly to a traumatizing situation and it could sway the jury. Mm, mm, mm. By any means necessary. <laughs> That's what they're doing. I get wow. it as part of like a textbook situation, but as just being a human being, right. are you fucking kidding? Right. Horrific. The judge told them to kiss his ass and Carl was found guilty. He <laughs> <laughs> sentenced to 99 years. But don't worry, his appeals team would still use that little reaction that David had as a reason for him to possibly get a new trial. Mm. It's fine. He won't get it. Just to let you guys know. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. So while Carl is serving his 99-year prison sentence, he gets to thinking and decides to write his incarcerated brother. Mm. So in 2013, 13. <laughs> so in 2013, Carl writes Kevin a note and it went a little something like this. Quote, I have to get it off my chest before it kills me. So I'll just come clean and pray you can forgive me. I'm the one who shot and killed those two black stones on Sheridan that night, end quote. Which one, it was one person that died. The other one didn't die, but go off. <laughs> and Carl- Let him finish. And Carl didn't immediately get a response from this letter. So he wrote his brother again in October of 2013. And in this one, he included, quote, the reason I didn't say shit the first time was because I didn't and couldn't find the strength to do it at the time. Wow. Pussy. You let your brother go down for a crime that you committed. Like, you're a joke. And then and then you're stupid enough to get caught in another case. You got caught in another case and got an even worse sentence. That's what you call, ooh, that's what you call karma. That's what you call yeah. divine intervention. That's what you get, Carl. That's what you get, Carl. Kevin responded to this letter and asked Carl to contact his lawyers. You know, if you're about it, about it. Right. Like, up. it's more Do than just forgiveness. Get me off. Absolutely. <laughs> get me out of here. And by 2014, Carl did exactly that. Carl admitted that on the night of the murder, he threw a party, but decided to leave it to go buy some weed with a friend. After parking at Argyle and Sheridan, he said he was crossing the street when Antoine and Ronnie pulled up next to him and started talking shit. He then pulled out his 38 caliber handgun and shot Antoine, and then pulled out his 32 caliber pistol and shot Ronnie. Mm. I'm like, these dudes must have been unarmed, Ronnie and, and Antoine. And then if you was unarmed, why are you coming up to the car talking mess? Well, he didn't come up to the car. Carl was saying he was already walking and they drove up next to him in their talking car crap. talking shit. Mm. Right, right, right. And he said after he shot the two, he ran back to the car with his friend. Mm. After that, he said, quote, I took a deep breath and told him to just drive and go to the liquor store. 
He returned to the party where he changed clothes and later went to a club with his brother. Carl claimed he didn't come forward sooner about what happened, you know, and what he'd done because he thought his brother was honestly going to get off. Apparently, he claimed that he went to the trial a day or two and like sat in the back and watched Mm -hmm. and said, quote, I didn't have the strength to come forward. I thought it was the job of the police to catch me. But it's your brother sitting here on the trial in your name. Like, that's not on the police. That's on you. That's on you. Mm. Now, obviously, the investigators and prosecution know about this confession and are low-key pissed about it. Mm -hmm. In 2016, there was a hearing held to determine if there was any validity to Carl's claims. And in the prosecution's opinion, it was all horseshit. (laughs) Of course. They don't want to be seen as like, oh, shit, we have this one up. Yeah. Exactly. For one, they pointed out that during the initial investigation, they tried to contact Carl and get him to come into the precinct for questioning multiple times, but he never showed up. And because of that, Carl wasn't in any of the pictures, lineups, and, you know, stuff like that. And the one time he did get stopped by police, he identified himself as his brother, Kevin, and was let go. Nah. Did they check IDs back then? Like, right! (laughs) it's 2000 what three and you're not checking this man's id and you know he's a twin y'all know he's a twin and even if they didn't know if you stop someone because first of all why did they stop in the first place i don't know but if they stop someone they usually are first thing bitch license id yeah or id you know if they're walking bitch give me your id yeah so what's going on i don't know the prosecution asked carl quote you never gave witnesses in this case the chance to see you to, together to pick out the right one, correct? And then Carl responded, correct. So Carl obviously knew what he was doing. He didn't want to be associated with the case at all. Mm-hmm. And he allowed his brother to take the fall, period. Mm-hmm. Period. Carl also testified, quote, I'm here to confess to a crime committed that he was wrongly accused of. About and time, when Carl. 15 years later, Carl. Willis Lewis remember <laughs> super Saint, she was like with what car Lewis Lewis <laughs> with what love job Lewis Lewis <laughs> love that something that the prosecution was very suspicious of was the 99 year sentence that Carl had just received and the fact that his appeals court upheld his sentencing Carl basically at this point had nothing to lose So in the prosecution's eyes, they're basically saying he's just trying to do a nice thing for his brother, you know, Mm. and take responsibility for something since he's never getting the fuck out. Mm. But they also brought into question the validity of the actual statements Carl was making about what happened that night. Mm -hmm. For instance, he said he shot them after they pulled up on him in the car, Mm -hmm. which multiple witnesses said the car was already parked. Mm -hmm. So how did they pull up on him? And then if he just started shooting at them, did they get out of the car? Or were you shooting at them in the car? Right. It was just not giving. It right. wasn't giving. I mean, honestly, um, Monica's story did not match Ronnie's story. Right. Carl's story isn't matching Ronnie or Monica's story. So everybody right. just doesn't got it. They don't have the full picture. They only have, I guess, their perspective of what happened. They all just have a perspective. Exactly. Their mother, Judy, was present in the courtroom and was seen crying probably from happiness and sadness because it's the first time she'd been in the same room with both of her kids, like both Mm -hmm. of her sons, since they were arrested, you know, Mm -hmm. probably over a decade. 
She also said in regards to Carl's confession that he wouldn't just lie about something like that. Ma'am, he lied about not doing it for a long time because according to Kevin, he asked Carl multiple times if he had something to do with the murder. And Carl always said no. Always said no. So he'd been lying this damn long. And I know Kevin knew. I knew. I know Kevin knew that Carl was like, had something to do with it, but he's probably just going to eat it. Like he was just going to take what was given to him on his plate. Cause he was low key in the life too, even though he didn't murder them. Right. Associated Kevin, with that. Kevin did what he was supposed to do. He kept his mouth shut and did his time and yeah. just maintained his innocence, I guess. Yeah. Their father, Isaiah died a month before the hearing from a mm. heart attack. According to Judy, it was brought on by the heartache of, you know, the two sons, his two sons being in prison for such horrible things. And he was only 68 years old at the time of his death. Wow. That is sad. That's really sad. You know, everything you do affects the people that you love. It doesn't matter if you want it to be true or not. It's the fucking truth. And haven't we learned that? Haven't we? And it pisses us off. (laughs) Trust. (laughs) So during the first official hearing in 2018, the judge decided not to grant Kevin a new trial based on the evidence presented. The court documents noted that, quote, the brothers had a pattern of misdirection and deceit and that it was unbelievable that anyone would let their innocent twin sit in the penitentiary for 10 years for a crime that they themselves committed, end quote. It's completely believable because people are selfish as hell. (laughs) what (laughs) carl was scared like you could tell kevin probably was the one who came out first because he was acting like the oldest one carl was acting like a kid carl was like i can't do this i can't go to jail man but then 10 years later you're wrapped up in some more crap like yeah so your brother's sacrifice was for nothing chris and three years later three years after his brother went to jail a joke and carl carl claimed that it took him a long time to even be okay after kevin went to jail he was coping by doing a lot of drugs and alcohol because of the guilt and stuff Mm. so maybe that's what led him to doing what he did Mm. kevin however appealed the judgment and in 2021 a new judge said the following After a careful consideration of all the evidence, the Court of Appeals ruled that a jury hearing that evidence, both the old and the new evidence, would likely acquit Kevin. And on January 26, 2022, Kevin Dugar was released from prison after serving damn near 20 years. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is insane. Like, Kevin is what we call a real one. Like, you literally sat there and you were patient and you were probably fervent in prayer and (laughs) some shit happened with your brother and then your brother has a change of heart and then you're out 20 years later. That's insane. He should write a book. Look at Kristen being the optimist. I'm just here for it. Well, Kevin's attorney, Ron Safer, told McClatchy News, that's a silly name, quote, We are delighted that Kevin is free after almost 20 years of incarceration for a crime he did not commit. We look forward to ensuring that he remains free. It is clear that Kevin's identical twin, Carl, committed the crime. I know from personal experience that the Cook County State's Attorney is a woman of integrity and honor. I know that if she believes that Kevin is innocent, she will dismiss the case, end quote. (laughs) Little ass kiss in there. I was about to say, you know, yeah, doesn't hurt. Mm -mm. Kiss some ass. 
<laughs> and state attorney, state attorney Kimberly Fox said that we are currently reviewing this matter to determine the next appropriate steps. Meaning, like, kiss all the ass you want. I we still go right. We still gonna figure <laughs> exactly. it out when we figure it out. Exactly. His attorney also said, quote, he is overjoyed to be free, but is also adjusting to the world that is quite different from the world he left 20 years ago when he was arrested for a crime he did not commit. This man keeps saying it. I get, I guess right. he's trying to like condition us to believe that Kevin really didn't do this. Yeah. Like he's trying to pull on the hearts. Right. He continued to say it was gratifying to watch his tears roll down his cheeks and their cheeks before their tears froze on their faces because it was about seven degrees below. Which is disgusting, Chicago. That is a crime. <laughs> and by them, by them, he's talking about Kevin's family members because some of them did come to, you know, as we greet him when he came out. Mm -hmm. As a condition of his release, he has to stay at a transitional residential facility for 90 days. And in the car on his way there, he had a big plate of chicken wings. Ah, Kevin! Kevin, nice. go find you a yeah. good woman, Kevin, because Kristen, stay please. out of the life. Like, I'm so sick of you guys. You act like this isn't going to affect you in the long run. It's going to yeah. affect you. You being in a gang and all that, sh it has detrimental effects. Right. Now, being devil's advocate, first of all, I want Kevin to be innocent, right? I, know I would is. love that. That would be perfect. However, part of me feels like Maybe the prosecution was on to something. Maybe they really did try to come up with something so Kevin could get off for something that Kevin actually did, you know? Or maybe Kevin was still involved and was just the getaway driver. Because remember, Carl said that he went to go get some the weed store. With, a with a friend, but oh, yeah. didn't say what friend that was. So maybe, you know, Kevin was the one that drove him there and who he hopped back in the car with after shooting them. So who knows? I don't know. We won't know until, I guess, there's some camera footage that pops up, bitch, because it doesn't seem like anybody's going to be coming up with some truth anytime soon. Well, or any proof. Any proof anytime soon. Hmm. I get what you're saying. I do. We need but, proof of the truth. <laughs> proof of the truth. But if Kevin did have something to do with it and Carl sacrificed himself after Carl got 99 years, then Carl right on because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you knew you wasn't getting out. So at least one of y'all could be out. But at the I same time, this like, is a horrible crime and I don't want the person that fucking did that crime on the street to be out period. Right. Right. And I don't think Kevin did it. Good for you, sister. I'm gonna give you intuition. I'm gonna give you guys two instances where this has happened in the past, where like siblings have kind of been associated with each other in crime. So the first one I want to mention is Michael Winston, who was released from prison in 2012 after serving six years behind bars for a Southside murder after his older brother named Robert, who kind of looks similar to him, confessed that he was the actual killer. Mm -hmm. I didn't look into like what evidence they had to support that, but I did see that that was able to work in this in, you know, a similar situation. Mm -hmm. But in New Mexico, Joseph Montoya was convicted of second degree murder in 2000, but his identical brother, Jeremy, came forward to claim that he was the actual killer to try to get him off. Mm -hmm. But the trial judge in that case rejected the claim, finding that the twins were just colluding and trying to hoodwink everyone. Mm -hmm. So 
Joseph Montoya is still in prison for that crime. This is insane. I want to ask you, sister, what are you thinking? I don't know. I'm just thinking like being siblings, like having a friend and a sister at the same time and then going through something like that. Like I was thinking to myself, could I ever see myself letting Kayla take the fall for me? First of all, no. Second of all, you would try. I don't think you are the type of person who would be like, no, bitch, you need to come take this. No, you would be the one that'd be like, I'll take the rap. And like, I could never let you do that. Ever. Well, it depends if it's some like stupid shit and like you're just like being ridiculous and you just <laughs> did something out of like a moment of ridiculous anger. But if it was like, oh, I had a self-defense moment or something like that or, you know, you were in an abusive situation, bitch, I'll take it. Like, I'll take whatever. But if you like got yourself in some shit and you were being the aggressor and the attacker mm-hmm. of someone else and, mm-hmm. you know, fuck that. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, calm down. Love you. But So, yeah. So I just I just think that is like they said a very, very big betrayal, but I know the love of siblings and I know that Kevin still loves Carl. I know that nigga probably forgave him, you know, because even though you see your, your sibling do some shit like that, especially if you look at them like the little sibling, it's kind of like, well, that shit is just, they're immature. They can't handle it. I'm strong enough to handle it. So I, they were so close. Yeah. So close. So it's probably just like a no brainer. Yeah, so I'm sure Kevin was hurt for a minute, but I know he still loves his brother. Oh, that is hard. Very hard. So I want to ask you guys, our listeners, what do you think? Do you think Kevin is innocent? Mm -hmm. Let us know in the comments. If I can figure out how to work Spotify, I'll have it attached to the actual episode so you can reply right there within the episode, which is super dope. Mm -hmm. But I am dying to know what you guys think. Yes, let us know. And if you have siblings, like, could you see yourself doing what Kevin did for Carl? Or could you see yourself doing what Carl did to Kevin? Like, let us know. All right. So before we go, (laughs) be safe, protect your peace, and protect your space, babe. So we don't have to cover cover your case. case. All of that. Bye, guys. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.